Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is June the 26th, and our chapter for today is Daniel chapter 3, and what a chapter it is. The image of gold. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. A cubit is 18 inches. That means this was over 90 feet tall, probably sitting up on a pedestal, and it was of solid gold. Not only was it worth a lot as far as the value of money and gold, but it was an incredible structure. Now, think about this. 90 feet tall. A cubit is 18 inches. That is the length, approximately, of a grown man elbow to the tip of his longest finger. I am a normal man in the sense of size. I'm almost six feet tall, and my elbow to the tip of my finger is exactly 18 inches. And so I measure by that all the time. It's a foot and a half. And this is the size of a normal man in the Bible. This is why it was measured as such. Now, there was a royal cubit, which was 21 inches, and there was reason why it was called a royal cubit, but we'll not get into that in this podcast. But it was 18 inches. So this was over 90 feet tall. It could be seen from a long way off. It was set up in the plain of Dura. Now, Dura is just southeast. The ancient Dura is just southeast of the city of Babylon. It's five to seven miles, something like that, on the river Euphrates. And it is there in Mesopotamia. It was a place that was easily accessible. And so the king would go there. And this is where they would have brick ovens called kill or kiln, as some would say. It's a Middle English word that comes from the Latin kulina, which is the word for kitchen. And there was always a kiln, a hot oven. There were so many bricks that were used in the making of the city of Babylon and all around in that Mesopotamia Valley that these kilns were so big, they were huge, that you could actually walk in them. They had to make so many bricks, they would get them hot enough to where they could set the bricks on the inside, build the fire on the inside, let the fire cool down, and then they could walk in there and get them. And so they had to be huge. And so this is what we're talking about when we talk about these furnaces in just a moment. And so the king had all of his kingdom divided up into provinces, and he had administrators and what was called satraps. The satrapies were in charge of, they were like governors and and people who were high in administration. So he had all of these people come to the dedication of this great image. I'm telling you, Nebuchadnezzar was a crazy man. He was insane. But God still spoke to and through this insane man. I mean, God can do that, and that's what he did. And so he brought everybody together for the dedication 
dedication of this. And when he did, according to verse 8, at the same time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. Now, here again is Jew hatred. I don't even like the term anti-Semitic anymore because it's worn out. Now, don't get me wrong. Everybody knows where I am on the Jewish people. I love the Jewish people. I've admired the Jewish people, not only historically, but in modern terms, some of my best friends on earth are Jews. But anti-Semitism is a phrase that's that's bantered about, and, and to some degree, it has lost its punch. I think we just need to start saying what it is. It's Jew hatred. Anti-Semitism is Jew hatred. It's people who hate Jews. They despise Jews. They're jealous of the Jews. There is an inherent hatred in people who do not know God. It is inherent within them that they, they hate the Jews. Now, there's no reason other than this except it's devilish. It's demonic. It is in the DNA to try to do that which damns and destroys the ones that gave us the word of God that were endeared to the heart of God, that were chosen by God, the line through which the Messiah came, on and on. And so the enemy of this world hates the Jewish people because they are God's special treasure. And so he knows he cannot destroy God, so he tries to destroy God's special treasure. Likewise, the church. And so at this time, they were accusing the Jews. They wanted to catch them and entrap them. So they spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. This is just a way of address. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the burning furnace. This is the kill that I was talking about. There are certain Jews whom you set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now we're getting to it. Jealousy. It's always about jealousy and envy when it comes to the Jews. And this is what was happening. These men had been favored by God. Remember chapter 1. Arioch, even the one who took care of the eunuchs, these men, Daniel and his three friends, found favor in the eyes of God, and they were blessed. They were favored. That's not favoritism in the classic sense. This is the hand of God of goodness and grace and mercy, that he lets them find favor. There's a special word for that. And so these people were favored by God, and he allowed them to be in positions of prominence so they could bless people and do what he wanted them to do. And so these people were jealous of this. And so they said, O king, these people have not paid regard to you. They don't serve your gods or worship the gold image which you set up. That wasn't any of their business, but you see, that's what happens. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, because they got him all whipped up, and it didn't take much, and uh, he began to command that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. And so what he said was, now look, I'm going to give you another chance. Now, if you will worship and you'll bow down and you will worship this image that represents me, basically worship me, then okay, but if not, you're going to be destroyed. I don't care who you are or where you came from. 
And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And if he delivers us from your hand, O king, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Now think about this. These men knew that it was certain death not to do it, but they also knew that if that was their lot in life, then that's what they would do because they would rather die faithful to God than to live and be unfaithful to Him. Now, that's a choice every one of us may have to make in the future. And if you don't make up your mind now, you'll make the wrong choice then more than likely. Because, you see, if you're not committed now while the sun's shining, you're sure not going to be committed when it's dark. And so here is exactly what happened. Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. This is verse 19. And the expression of his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In other words, now the other side of him came out. And he spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded that certain mighty men of valor who were in his army bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning kill, this furnace. Then these men were bound with their coats, their trousers, and their turbans. They were well-to-do. They were in the upper echelons of Babylonian culture, as you know. They were uh, administrators. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of fire killed those mighty men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because, you see, they had to go, and this furnace was so hot. Remember how I described it to you? It was a huge thing you could walk into. They could set bricks along the edges and so forth, build a fire, and it would cook those bricks just like a ceramic tile. And so these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the furnace. They just threw them in, and in doing that, they died themselves. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, astonied. And he rose in haste and spoke, saying to the counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said unto the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose and walking in the midst of the fires. You see, I always had the image before I did some research, and I thought that this was kind of a pit, and they fell down in it because that's kind of the way it reads in English. But it wasn't that at all. It was a huge kill, and they could see into it. Nebuchadnezzar could see into it. He wasn't overlooking into it. It would have burned his own person. No, he was looking from a distance, and he saw that when they threw them in there, of course, they were down, but what happened was they got right back up after they threw them down into this fire. That is, when they pushed them into the fire, of course, they fell down, and then they got back up and started walking around, and this is what he said, and he said, the fourth is like the son of Elohak. That's the name for God. Looks like the son of God walking around in there. It's a supernatural being. It's some kind of messenger from God. It's some kind of special being. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning furnace. In other words, he got closer and he spoke saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Now think about this. Come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. And the satraps administrators, governors, and king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose body the fire had no power. L listen to this. 
Now, this is detail. This is an eyewitness. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and they didn't even smell like smoke. I can just be around a barbecue pit. I can just be grilling out, and I smell like smoke. As a matter of fact, when I go in, my wife will say to me many times, Whew, you smell like smoke. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his messenger, his divine messenger, his angel. Nebuchadnezzar actually said it looks like God walking and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word today. <laughs> they have defied my word. This is what he said. And they've gone up against it, and they've yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any other god except their own. Now, this sounds familiar. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says, On the basis of everything that God has done for you, I beseech you, I implore you, I beg you, present your bodies as a whole burnt offering unto God, which is wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be yielded to this world. Don't be pressed into the world's mold any longer. But present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Yield your bodies that they would be acceptable to God. That's what they did. Therefore, I make a decree, Nebuchadnezzar said, that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, he was a rough guy to deal with, I'm telling you. Nebuchadnezzar, you just study his life, study history about him, Nepoplasser, his father. These were incredible men. They've just cut you into pieces. This is what he said. He said, if anybody speaks against your God, I'm going to cut them into pieces and their houses shall be made in ash heap. I'll burn their house down because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Amen, Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. What a story. Now, I've heard preachers say, well, they didn't bow, they didn't bend, they didn't burn. Well, all that's good, and that's good preaching. The fact is, you don't need alliteration to tell this story. All you need to tell the story is of men who love God more than they love their lives. You see, people give their lives for a lot of things. Men who are in the service, they give their lives for their colleagues, for the nation that has enrolled them in service. Many policemen, firefighters, they willingly give their lives because it's their duty, their sworn duty. People give their lives for a lot of things. Surely we can give all that we have for all that he is who loved us with an undying, unflinching love and gave himself for us. The Lord Jesus Ask of us everything that we are. Not too long ago, someone came to me, and we were in the midst of a conversation. It was not in this country. It was in another. And asked of me, said, what will it take for me to become a follower of Jesus? And I, without hesitation, said, everything you are, everything you have, everything you hope to be, and everything you hope to have, Jesus wants you. He wants all of you. He doesn't want a portion of you. He doesn't want a part of you. He wants to consume you. He wants to control you. He wants to take over your life. You see, if we don't tell people that right up front, 
and we act like Jesus is just some fire escape from hell, we shouldn't be surprised when people are called upon to commit their lives to Christ that they balk and they back up. Let's just tell them right up front, Jesus demands your life. He demands the totality of who you are. God doesn't say, I want you to just love God from time to time. He said, I want you to love God with everything that's within you, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, everything you are, the totality of your being, God wants. God wants you. He wants the title deed to your life. And that means total surrender. Turn and give everything you are to him. He's the only one that can do anything with your life, make anything out of you. And he's the only one that can forgive your sin and take you to heaven when you die. And by the way, give you a life worth living with purpose and meaning and peace on this earth. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.